greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is uh, the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. This series is part one of uh, at least two, if not three, or more parts of different series of videos exploring the importance of knowing our motives. And as I've already said, I can't know my motive. You can't know your motive. So we need God to reveal our motives to us because motive uh, directly affects, our motives directly affect God's willingness to use us. Amen. So uh, the question is this, whose glory are we seeking? God's or ours? That's the uh, subject of this Lesson, lesson two of uh, part one of the series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. Whose glory are we seeking? First Corinthians one twenty six says this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and after the flesh is redundant, so it's not included in there, but it's implied. Not many mighty after the flesh, not many noble after the flesh, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And the next verse explains his whole motive in all that, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Boast about God all you want. Boast about yourself, you can't. Glorying in his presence. Glorying in his... Whose glory are we seeking? Now, the root, uh, the, the most literal definition of the Greek word D-O-X-A, doxa, uh, that's translated glory, means literally opinion. Opinion. So, when we say, whose glory are we seeking? Are we seeking to affect people's opinion of us? Are we seeking to affect God's opinion of us? That's why, again, I've I've already used the verse, and I'll use it many times. Uh, Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The motive is to please God. Not to please ourselves, not to please others, but to please God. As a man of God, as a child of God, as a saint of God, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a fellow laborer in his harvest field, my motive has to be that God would be pleased. Even if it means nobody else is. And I had a man tell me one time uh, that he expects everybody to like him. And I looked at him and said, then you've just told me you've never gotten a word from God and preached it. Because I will assure you, if you're a man of God, 
and you, and the Lord speaks to you and you speak faithfully what he says, he will give you things to say that people aren't going to like. Flesh is not going to approve everything that's spoken in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. Flesh is not going to approve of all that. In fact, flesh is probably going to disapprove of most of it. What your, our hope is as, as ministers of the gospel or as a saint of God or whoever it is that's witnessing to a soul, our hope is that the desire of their heart and their spirit is stronger than the desire of their flesh. So that even though their flesh might not like what's being said, their heart will love it. That's why the Bible says, uh, it talks about the shoe bread, which is representative of the word of God that the priest ate in the holy place in the tip, in the temple and the tabernacle in the temple. It was bitter to the taste, but sweet to the belly. If you only put it in your mouth and chewed on it, it was bitter. But if you swallowed that bite of shoe bread, it would be very pleasant, very sweet to the belly, very pleasant to the being, very nourishing, very fulfilling. Most of the things of God are just like that. Most of the things that God tells us to do, they're going to be uh, this distasteful to the flesh, but sweet to the soul. Most of the words of God that he speaks to us will be distasteful to the flesh, but sweet to the soul. So if you don't know what your motive is, if you haven't sought God and allowed him to teach you and show you and reveal to you through his word and through his spirit and by circumstances and your reaction to them. Now, you don't know what your motive is. But I will say this to you. Here's a simple way to know what your motive really is. God tells you something that your flesh doesn't want to do. What's the reaction of your inner man to that? What's your reaction to it? Does your flesh override anything that's on the, in the inner man? Or does the inner man and the desires of the inner man to please God rather than please itself or please anybody else, does it override uh, the distaste of the flesh? Which is it? Let's talk a little bit more about specifically what it means to glory in his presence. When we glory in the presence of God, we're attempting to use God's working in our lives to affect people's opinions of us. So I give a message in tongues or I give an interpretation or a prophecy. It's in the back of my mind going, boy, I, they, the, people are aware how, how great I am with this, how well I'm used with this, or I'm used with the gift of faith to pray somebody through the Holy Ghost or cast out a devil or the workings of miracles or the gifts of healing or whatever it would be. And you pray for somebody that gets healed or delivered or they receive a miracle. Is it in the back of my mind? Boy, everybody knows who I am now. Or my singing or my praising God on an instrument or my speaking or is it, uh, is the purpose there? Oh boy, people are going to think I'm good at this. And, uh, well, I'm a, 
They're going to say, I'm a great preacher, and I'm going to get more invitations because my motive is not to do the will of God. My motive is not to please God. My motive is to get the praise, to get the financial reward, to get more invitations, to be bragged on. Yeah. I'll tell you something right now. Flesh is flesh. But it's not just flesh that's the problem. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who know them. And motive is a condition of the heart. Either good motive or right motive is a direct result of the condition of the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I can say all the right words, but in my heart, I'm trying to get people to think well of me. I want people to think well of me. While we can all understand the need or desire to be loved and accepted, God expects us to believe that we are loved by him because we are his children. Now, do I have to have the greatest orator to preach the word of God for me to me for me to be able to receive it? Or do I have to use oratory to minister so that people will think well of my speaking in the perverted thought that that's what's necessary to get people to hear and receive and respond to what I'm saying? First Corinthians 2 and several places, the Bible talks about oratory, negating the cross of Christ. First Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 2, I don't remember the exact verse or verses, but a couple of times it says it and then alludes to it. That oratory, speaking with the wisdom of men, speaking with the oratorical ability of man, it draws attention to man. Paul said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that because I want people to have their faith in God and in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. You know how often it is that the Lord will tell us to do things that look foolish to the eye to see if we'll do them. I mean, let's face facts. Grown people jumping up and down, screaming and hollering, raising their hands, rolling on the floor, done that a time or two, taking off running around in a service, shouting, dancing, standing there waving your arms over your head, whatever. That's <laughs> Let's face facts. To the natural man, is foolishness. Even if they would do the same thing in a ball game or a concert in church, it looks foolish. Well, we know that. But what if we're constraining, restraining what the Spirit of God's trying to do in demonstration through us, and we're not willing to yield? We're not willing to submit. We're not willing to do that because of how foolish it looks to the natural man. You know what I just did? I gloried in his presence. I refused to do what he told me to do for the purpose of people thinking well of me and me thinking well of me rather than me feeling foolish. Been there, done that. I was raised in the church. Until I was 22 years old, I would speak in tongues. I'd clap my hands in service when this, uh, during songs. I would raise my hands in prayer. But... At 22, having had the Holy Ghost 10 years, I had never danced 
I had never shouted. I'd never run. I had certainly never rolled. I had never acted the fool. That's what David's wife, Mikhail, said to him when she saw the king dancing in the streets and worshiped the Lord. How foolish the king looked today. I never did any of those, those things. I never acknowledged to anybody the reason I didn't do it was because it felt foolish to me and I didn't want to be embarrassed. But I remember the first time I was in a little church outside the gates of the Naval Air Station. Uh, it was a little home missions work while I was in flight training, and the pastor had me leading service. And I was in the prayer room by myself preparing, praying to prepare to lead service. And this little voice said to me, jump. It wasn't, wasn't a command. It wasn't a loud command. It wasn't intimidating. It wasn't threatening. It was more of an invitation. Jump. And uh, the thought went through my mind. Who, me? Literally. But when I came to myself, I was jumping up and down like I was on a pogo stick. Well, that wasn't all that was happening. Every time my feet touched the ground, it felt like I was jumping barefooted in a, a puddle of water that an electric cord was stuck in because it, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a painful thing. It was a, a, an amazing shock of, of, of power of God. And I just kept doing this. And as I came to myself doing this, experiencing this, I got mad. Not at God. I got mad at myself. And I remember thinking to myself, do you mean to say you've been depriving yourself of this experience with God all these years? All these years. Now, nobody knew what was going on. I was in the back room by myself. I heard the piano. I knew it was time to start. So I, I stopped dancing, and, and as I kind of gathered myself, I, I went through that door, came on the platform because the, the little room was behind the platform. And I'm standing there, and uh, uh, we began to worship God. And I was leading the service. Now, I had stood there many times and led while they went nuts. And I mean that in the most positive and affectionate way possible. I mean, this was a demonstrative church. And they had this stiff as a board guy standing up there, this prideful person who didn't realize he was negatively glorying in God's presence because he wasn't doing anything that was going to affect his own opinion of himself or what he thought other people's opinion was. And they would go like that. Well, I remember we, we started worship and I don't know how, how long we had sung. It wasn't long. Could have been much more than five, six minutes. And, uh, I, all my life, being raised in the church, I, I saw people dance. I saw people jump and okay, that's all right. But I saw people shout and they just kind of lost it and arms and legs and everything going every which way. And, 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 and boy, I can remember thinking to myself, I will never do that. Well, I just had my first experience with demonstrative worship in that prayer room by myself. And now I'm on the platform. And that same voice said to me, Shout. 
And I remember thinking, who me? And when I came to myself, my arms and legs were going every which way. And I was all over that platform. And then I realized (laughs) that in the back of my mind, there was this silence out there as everybody was in shock seeing me do that. But that silence didn't last long. They went absolutely berserk because they saw a miracle. Paul said, if I am sober, it's for your sake. But if I'm beside myself, it's for my sake. And the Greek word translated beside myself means out of my mind. I didn't even understand what that meant. In that prayer room by myself, I got out of my mind. In that church service when he said shout, I got out of my mind. Well, we were we were building a new building. And I remember one of the first couple of services uh, in that new building. I was up leading service again. And uh, I I was still participating in jumping and dancing. I don't, not too coordinated with all that, but I do it, my little two-step. And I was do that, and, and every once in a while the shout would come. And I uh, was standing there, and I, I heard that same voice say to me, run. And immediately the response was, who me? And I came to myself. I was, there were two aisles, two main aisles. There were side aisles. There were two main aisles, three sections of pew. And when I came to myself, I was running down this right aisle. And I ran out the door, around the cars, came back in, ran, ran back up the aisle, crossed the platform, back down that aisle. And I, I can't believe how long I cheated myself because my pride wouldn't let me be involved in demonstrative worship. I cheated myself. I cheated myself. I remember, I remember this one very well. We were already in Annapolis, Maryland, and we had Brother Welch's church in Pensacola, Florida had helped us buy this piece of property that we were hoping to build on. And we didn't have a church. We had lost the place we were using. And so, they helped us rent a tent, and we put a tent out there on the grounds to be able to have church till we could find another building to use. Uh, we didn't do that on purpose. We had no other choice. We had no other place to go. The Lord arranged all of that. And, of course, it was ground. It was grass, and it was in a kind of a low area, so it wasn't exactly dry. So guess what I did? I went to a sawmill and uh, bought a couple of pickup trucks, load, loads of of uh, sawdust and chips, and uh, we uh, we sket- spread that out in the uh, um, all over the floor. Well, I had I had just gotten this brand new suit, paid about eighty dollars for it. it. wasn't the uh, the the best in the world, but it was uh, it was my, it was new to me, <clears throat> and it was good enough. But it was my new suit, and and we built this little platform. Uh, and I'm up there leading worship. And that same voice said to me, roll. And my, that same voice of mine says, who me in this new suit? And I came to myself rolling back and forth to back and forth between the altar and the first row of the chairs in that sawdust. Oh, wow. What, what an amazing experience that was in God. I didn't do any of that for anybody else. Trust me. 
but he blessed it. He used it. So we, 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 we talk about, we talk about living for God. We talk about working for God. But if I am working for God, living for God, for the purpose of gaining his or people's or even my own approval proves that I do not believe that he loves me for me. If I believe I'm, I have to do stuff to earn his love, to earn the love of people, to earn his love, to earn love for myself, I don't believe that. I don't believe he loves me. We love him because he first loved us. He gives us his love voluntarily. He is the initiator of love. I can't earn what he's given as a gift. When I try to earn a gift from the giver, I'm insulting the giver. When I won't let God give me things without deserving them, I'm stealing his glory because as the giver, he is giving voluntarily to me because it gives him glory, meaning it affects my opinion of him. That's right motives for him. But if I do it, it's wrong motives for me. Why? I'm not God. He is the possessor of all things. He is the initiator of all things. He is the one that gives gifts. I don't wrestle gifts from him. I don't purchase the gifts by my actions, my attitudes. That's why I, I realize, especially when you first come to God, there needs to be some discipline of flesh to pray. There needs to be some discipline of flesh to read the word. And there may be some discipline of flesh to give and discipline of flesh to come to church. I understand all of that may be necessary, and it may be a discipline of the flesh to live a separated life. And and I, I don't know that, the, the, I don't have a problem with that as a spiritual newborn, as a babe in Christ. I don't have a problem with that then. But I'm supposed to grow out of that. I'm supposed to mature out of that. I'm supposed to mature out of it. I'm supposed to grow in him. And part of growing in him is my motives changing. It's my motives changing. That's part of growing in him. So the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing as a part of my life in God, the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing as a part of my participation in the kingdom of God has everything to do with whether or not what I'm doing or not doing is pleasing to God rather than me glorying in his presence, trying to earn something. Motives are the result of shame and the spiritual labor produced by these motives have the, have the individual at their center and as their focus and not God. When I don't feel worthy, and I'm not talking about deserving, but I'm worthy of God's love. Because he loved me, (laughs) not because I deserve it, but because he gave me his unmerited favor. He loves me because he made me. He loves me because of who I am. He died for me when I didn't know anything about him. 
when I wasn't even a thought in my mom and dad's mind. He loved me. He died for me. That's love. That's pure motive. In fact, the word love, which I'll be talking about later in other lessons, love is a uh, agape love very basically is this. It's, deci- it's not an emotional thing. It's a decision to love someone in spite of what you get back from them. Even if you get nothing back from them, you still love them. For God so loved the world. He loves the whole world. He loved the world enough to give his to give the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the innocent for the guilty, so that we could be saved. But, my friend, but, while he loves the whole world, that doesn't mean the whole world is loved. Because it's one thing to offer your love to the whole world. It's another thing for the world to receive that love. So I'd, I'm not loved if I don't receive that love. So God loves me. But what if my shames, my negative feeling about myself, prevents me from allowing and receiving the will, the love of God without feeling like I earned it? That's shame. That's wrong motive. And God will not bless that. He won't. He won't. Just in summarizing this uh, lesson before we go on into other lessons to get more specific, let me just, and this may, maybe uh, I should have already done this, but here it is. Let, let's talk about the definitions of the word motive. According to Webster's, uh, motive is defined as literally as that which moves a person. What is, the, what is it that moves you? Your motive is what motivates you. Your motive motivates you. If shame, feeling unworthy, feeling like I have to earn or try to deserve stuff, uh, is my motive. That's what motivates me, and that's not acceptable to God. He may love us, but he is not going to respond positively to wrong motive. Uh, Another definition, motive is some inner drive, impulse, intention, etc. that causes a person to do something or act in a certain way. There is good motive and there's wrong motive. But whatever it is, whether good or bad, motive is the reason we do stuff. That's the why we do things. It's impossible, impossible to do anything or to not consciously not do something except by motive. That's why motive is so critical. Motive, it's not what I'm doing or not doing that by itself is the issue. It's what motivated me to do or to not do that is the issue with God. Because it's the heart. The outside matters to God, but it matters in the context of the heart and how the heart was motivated to produce the outside. So motive it refers to any impulse, emotion, or desire that moves one to action. And then finally, motive is the goal or object of one's actions. That's why he said, 
no flesh is going to glory in his presence. He's not going to let any person, no matter who it is, do anything for the purpose of affecting people's opinion of themselves, of affecting his opinion of them, of affecting their opinion of themselves. If it's outside of the motives that he thinks we should have. Motive is the source of motivation. Motive is what moves us. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons is not acceptable or pleasing to God. Doing the right things for the wrong reasons is not acceptable to God. Motive is what moves us. Not doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons is not acceptable or pleasing to God. It's like the thief who is sorry. They're sorry, but they're sorry because they got caught. If they hadn't got caught, they'd never be sorry. That's why the, the prayers of repentance, because I got caught, they're not acceptable. I've got to pray until I get past those motives and finally see, like David did, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, Lord. He committed adultery to the woman. He had her husband killed to cover that adultery. He marries the woman so that uh, that the baby that she uh, got pregnant with because of their adulterous uh, relationship, uh, so that it would be his son by marriage and, as well as biologically, but to cover that up. And then the baby dies because of his actions. And yet he prayed against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. To the natural mind, that doesn't sound right. But spiritually, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because ultimately, that David, the man after God's own heart, his actions were wrong motives. Wrong motives and his actions to cover up those things, they were a direct offense against Almighty God. Praise God. I pray in Jesus' name that the Lord would give you and I the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding could be enlightened so that we can fully understand and grasp the significance and the importance of motive, our motives in the sight of God. God bless you in Jesus' name.